0: We just set the machines up. Okay, we're ready to roll. Watch it. Hey, knucklehead.
1: It's time for American Knucklehead, an average Joe's take on the state of the nation. Hello friends and neighbors, welcome to another episode of American Knucklehead, the podcast that bills itself as an average Joe's take on the state of the nation, but is, in reality, one oddball soapbox for ranting about stuff that gets his shorts in a twist. My name is Crawford, and I thank you for listening. As I mentioned in the last podcast, which was, what, back in February, perhaps? I have started my own business, and that's been occupying much of my time lately. It's been a slow start and I'm doing just a tiny little bit of business, but I guess that's better than none at all. Lately, I've been trying to wrap my head around website management and search engine optimization. Damn, but that stuff is just opaque to me. I mean, I've always thought of myself as being something of a techie guy, but... This SEO stuff is just high-tech voodoo as far as I'm concerned. Optimize your keywords and sacrifice a chicken to propitiate the great god Google. I tell you, it's got my head spinning. Now, another thing that's got my dome revolving is that I'm trying to give up smoking. I've been smoking for damn near 30 years, and it's time to give that shit up, friends and neighbors. I started taking this stuff called Chantix which is a drug that's supposed to really cut down on the nicotine craving. So I brought these pills home from the pharmacy, and they've got all these complicated instructions and schedules and stuff. Basically, you have to let the drug build up in your brain, and it inhibits the receptors in your noggin that get off on nicotine. It works a lot in the same way that antidepressants work. Now, that should have been my first red flag right there. I'm more than a little suspicious of any drug that you have to build up in your system. And conversely, you have to taper off of instead of just giving it up, well, cold turkey.
0: I think we should take him off the drug. Whoa, 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 whoa. You can't just go off, focus it. But we can ease Bart onto one of its sister drugs like chlorhexanol and augment that with some Hmm, And maybe some cyclobenzanone? That's a great idea. Mm-hmm.
1: The second red flag with this Chantix stuff is that it's got a list of side effects as long as your arm. Granted, it works as advertised, and once I started taking it, I really did not have any craving for a cigarette. Now, the downside was the accompanying diarrhea, depression, and insomnia, and I kept finding myself sitting on the can in the middle of the night, wide awake and acutely bummed. But at least I didn't want to smoke. But after a week of this, I decided to say, screw it. I tapered off the Chantix as quickly as I could without inducing a brain aneurysm or something, and now I'm just white-knuckling it. Hey, quitting smoking is easy. I've done it dozens of times. Now, maybe it's just the nicotine withdrawal that's gotten my head all spun up lately and getting me to crank out another podcast here. So here's my rant point number one. Why the hell aren't people more upset about the allegations that the NSA is quite unconstitutionally, collecting data on millions of Americans. What we're hearing in the news on an almost daily basis makes a lot of the conspiracy theories that just a few years ago were tinfoil hat stuff, makes them seem tame by comparison. But all we get from the politicians are a lot of half-assed assurances and a lot of silence from everybody else. Where is the outrage, friends and neighbors? It's almost as if everybody is afraid of speaking out for fear of being abruptly cut off... That's new music from the Rudy Schwartz Project, this podcast's favorite musician and philosopher. That was the guy from the NSA from the new album Winter Dance of the Koala Sperm Harvest, available now from DC Jam Records wherever it's sold. Okay, the other day I was driving downtown and I passed a delivery van for a wine shop. I normally wouldn't have paid it too much attention because I'm a beer drinker, And my wine consumption days pretty much ended when I gave up on Mad Dog. Anyway, the slogan on the side of this van sort of jumped out at me. It said, Aristocratic wines at democratic prices. Now that got me to thinking, and that always leads to trouble. Friends and neighbors, I think we all know that things have gotten a little bit off track here in this country. And by a little bit, I mean a lot. My main thesis, my big metaphor, which I keep banging on about at every opportunity, like this one, goes something like this. The United States of America is like a big house. We Americans have gotten kind of lazy about keeping that house up over the last couple of decades, and now it needs some major repairs. The cute little phrase that I've made up for this is homeland improvement. I think that we American knuckleheads, the average Janes and Joes who work hard to make this country what it is, need to roll up our sleeves, get out of our comfort zones, and get to work putting our American house back in order. Now, as much as I like to piss and moan, and I like to do that a lot, I've always been an optimist at heart. Deep down inside, I've always had no doubt that this homeland improvement could be accomplished and that the 300-odd million of us could put aside our petty differences and distractions and get the job done. Friends and neighbors, I'm sad to say that I'm not so certain about that anymore. Sometimes it seems to me like we are moving backwards in a lot of important ways, that the United States is undergoing de evolution, or devolution if you prefer, and we're losing ground on a lot of important parts of what makes this country great. Are we not Americans, or has it just become too much of an inconvenience to pay attention and make important changes? What that goofy-ass wine advertisement got me to thinking about is the essential dichotomy between aristocracy and democracy. This country was founded upon getting away from the back-asswards model of aristocratic governance, where only the rich and powerful get a say in how the country is run, and the rest of us are just peons who have to put up with it. That's what the American Revolution was fought about. To a certain extent, that's what all the subsequent wars were fought to preserve, except for the ones in the last 10-15 years. Anyway, friends and neighbors, I fear that we are witnessing the rise of a new American aristocracy right here and now, and that it imperils what this country stands for. Certainly, there's no doubt whatsoever that the gap between the ultra-wealthy and the rest of us American knuckleheads continues to increase. There seems to be very little will or ability among the so-called political leadership to do anything about the problem and all they do is mouth the lamest of platitudes. This is hardly surprising if you consider some of the recent Supreme Court decisions that have given the uber-wealthy the ability to disproportionately influence elections in this country. Basically, the Roberts Supreme Court has decided that spending huge amount of money on influencing elections is equivalent to free speech and is therefore protected by the First Amendment. Now, friends and neighbors, I'm no constitutional scholar. I've never even read the Federalist Papers, except for a couple of chapters I had to read back in 10th grade. But it seems to me that the First Amendment right to free speech has nothing at all to do with wealthy individuals and organizations being allowed to unduly influence electoral politics by spending whopping amounts of money on propaganda campaigns. Personally, I think there's a big goddamn difference between the two. Unfortunately, the Robert Supreme Court doesn't think so. First, in the Citizens United versus the FEC case, the court decided that it was A-OK for corporations to spend as much money as they'd like to to support their pet political causes. Now, of course, the political causes that corporations support tend in 99.994% of the cases to benefit huge corporations to the detriment of us American knuckleheads. And that's not even addressing the ludicrous legal fallacy that corporations are entities equal to human beings in the eyes of the law. So, the Citizens United case set a bad precedent for allowing the ultra-wealthy to corrupt the political process in the name of free speech. This was a big disappointment to me, but I'd always held out hope that common sense would prevail and this decision would soon be overturned. Well, my hopes were dashed just a few weeks ago when the Roberts court reinforced this ridiculous notion. The McCutcheon v. FEC case struck down what are known as aggregate limits to campaign contributions. Once again, this means the floodgates to political corruption that inevitably accompanies the flow of private funds into political campaigns, those floodgates have been opened just that much wider. We can already see how the influence of big money in politics is creating a new aristocratic class in America. Now, first, there's just piddly stuff, like how the law gets applied differently to the rich than it does to you and me. There are two cases recently that have been particularly disturbing. There was a recent case in Texas where a wealthy 16-year-old named Ethan Couch was convicted of killing four people while driving drunk. Just want to make that part clear, he was drunk and killed four pedestrians. His punishment? A couple of years at a posh California rehab clinic. The little bastard pulled this slap on the wrist instead of a typical 20-year incarceration, largely due to his defense of suffering from affluenza. This is a bullshit affliction, air quotes here, that rich kids, like Ethan Couch, have a sense of entitlement to, and irresponsible behavior because their rich parents never set proper boundaries. Therefore, they're not responsible for their actions. Yeah, right. You let me know when affluenza shows up in the DSM, and maybe I'll give a shit. Till then, it's just mommy and daddy's bunny covering up for horrible behavior, in this case, behavior that cost four human lives. Then there's the lovely case of Robert H Richards IV in Delaware, an heir to the DuPont Chemical Fortune. This prince of a fellow was convicted of raping his own one year old daughter. For this heinous crime, the wealthy scumbag got probation. Judge Jan Jordan used the rationale in sentencing that Richards would not fare well in prison. Well, no shit, Judge. Isn't that kind of the whole point of prison? But no, this guy is rich and well-connected, so he gets to go free after committing an unimaginably horrible crime. Now, friends and neighbors, I try not to get too terribly worked up about hearing the inexplicable results of a court case. After all, I wasn't there in the court, I didn't hear all of the evidence, and the information I'm getting I know is being distorted by the sensationalist lens of our 24-hour news media machine. However, I don't think there's any doubt that if Mr. Couch or Mr. Richards had been regular, run-of-the-mill, white-underwear American knuckleheads, they would not be enjoying the freedom that they are enjoying today. Now, these are just two egregious cases that have gotten a lot of attention recently, And I don't think that you'd have to look too much further to find many more similar cases of the rich and well-connected essentially buying their way out of justice for their crimes. Even worse than these scumbag individuals I just mentioned are the corporate criminals that continue to evade prosecution for utterly slimy and illegal behavior. The phrase, too big to jail, the appalling notion that these huge financial institutions cannot or should not be prosecuted because doing so would result in irreparable harm to the economy. Ridiculous. Friends and neighbors, it has been five or six years since illegal, unethical, and predatory banking practices nearly wrecked our economy. This whole mess affected nearly every one of us American knuckleheads and continues to do so today. And yet only one guy has been put behind bars for all of this mess. And that's only because he was ripping off other rich people. As politicians go further into the pockets of wealthy donors, there is less and less accountability for the criminal and economic misbehavior of the rich. The aristocratic rich get richer and more untouchable, and the rest of us seem to be on a slow, grim slide backwards towards peonage. Look, I'm 46 years old. This makes me a member of the so-called Generation X. At this point, it seems pretty clear to me that my generation is going to wind up substantially worse off politically and economically than that of my parents. I've worked hard all of my life. I've gotten a good education. I've got two master's degrees. However, at this point, I think that it is mathematically impossible for me to be as financially secure as my parents, unless, of course, I undertake some sort of Walter White-style career change. And my stepkids generation, they're going to have it even worse. I see them coming out of college with staggering loads of debt fighting for jobs with wages that won't even come close to allowing them to pay off those debts or make a good life for themselves. Why is it that organizations in this country have to commodify every damn thing they can think of? The government makes billions of dollars off of student loans. Huge medical corporations make trillions from sickness and disease. Private correctional corporations profit hugely from imprisoning criminals. The business and political leaders of this country see fit to profit off the young, the sick, and the desperate. Yet they balk at doing things that will ultimately help the majority of the populace. The government won't make these moves even when an overwhelming majority of Americans want them to do so. Case in point, minimum wage laws. Last month, Senate Republicans bowed to the desires of their wealthy donors and blocked a bill that would allow some of the poorest American knuckleheads to have a shot at making a decent working wage. The mantra that these woofer mouthpieces bark over and over again is that doing so would be bad for business, particularly for small business. As a small business owner, I'd like to go on record right now as supporting a legally mandated minimum wage of at least $15 an hour. If the minimum wage had been indexed to executive-level compensation... Workers at McDonald's would probably be making about $40 an hour right now. A poll showed that 72% of Americans favor raising the minimum wage to $10.10. That's a huge majority. However, the Republican woofers who blocked the minimum wage bill justified their action by cherry-picking some data from a Congressional Budget Office report. This report suggested that a rise in the minimum wage would result in the loss of about 500,000 jobs. However, these same Republicans rather conveniently overlooked the fact that the same report said that a minimum wage hike would increase the income of some 16.5 million low-wage earners to the tune of $2 billion. Of course, these right-wing Senate asshats don't give a hoot about the possibility of low-wage earners losing their jobs, really. What they, or rather the wealthy cats who finance their campaigns, are concerned about is the notion that there's $2 billion that would be going in the pockets of working-class Americans and not their own. While this isn't really necessarily the case, it's really all they can see. They fear that raising the minimum wage will impact the mighty bottom line. And it's the same for so many other issues that Congress, and congressional Republicans in particular, stonewall on. Climate change, gun control, what have you. They'll justify their opposition by playing on the fears and ignorance of their base. But that's never the real reason that these things get shot down. At the end of the day, the real reason these reforms get killed is because of the fear that some already rich guys are going to get richer at a slightly slower rate if it gets passed. They are so deeply in the pockets of the uber-wealthy that they won't do the right thing to help average knuckleheads, even if the majority of them want them to do so. All of this seems so wrong, so corrosive, and so un-American that I can hardly see straight. What it comes down to is greed, pure and simple. Greed and fear and ignorance. We live in a society that equates wealth with happiness. But I think this is nothing but a whole lot of bullshit, friends and neighbors. Some of the happiest people I know live very humble lives. I also know a number of people who are very well off, and almost every single one of them are miserable. You know, I'm fool enough to go out and buy a Powerball ticket from time to time, especially when that jackpot gets up in the stratosphere. But I think that if I ever won the damn thing, I would end up regretting it for the rest of my days. Now, I think this is really the core of the problem, and one of the reasons the gap between the haves and the have-nots keeps getting wider. Why we've got the emergence of this new aristocracy, and why it's devolving our democracy and our nation. It's just that we've been taught over and over that money can buy happiness, but it just doesn't work that way. Now, in the words of the eminent sage and philosopher David Lee Roth, Money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you a yacht big enough to pull up right alongside it. Well, that's pretty funny, Diamond Dave, but what you're talking about seems even worse somehow. You get so close to happiness, but you're still not there. And I think that's what's driving these folks who continue to break the law and pervert our democracy to further stuff their bulging bank accounts. They can't help but equate money with happiness. Even when they've achieved great wealth, they're still not happy... And the only thing they can think of to remedy the situation is to get more money. Sorry, Scrooge. If you're not happy with $10 million, then you're not going to be happy with $20 or or $100 million or a $1 billion. Give it up. You're rich enough. Try another path. May I suggest meditation and a bowl of yogurt, perhaps? Now, here's something that kind of illustrates the point of what I was talking about. Just the other day, I was at the grocery store, and I saw that Oprah Winfrey was endorsing yet another consumer product. Now, I'm sorry, I can't for the life of me remember exactly what it was, but I do recall it was something very mundane like margarine or freezer bags or laundry detergent, something like that. Now, someone had paid her doubtless monstrous amount of money to paste her picture on the box or whatever it was, and I thought, why?! This woman is one of the richest people on the face of the planet. She's got a net worth of nearly $3 billion, yet she still feels the need to make more money by plastering her mug on some cheap jack household product. So where are we at? Friends and neighbors, I really wish I had a good answer for you. Perhaps things aren't as bad as they seem. Maybe it's just me. I was pissing and moaning to a friend about all of the stuff I've just been pissing and moaning to you about right now. And he pointed out to me that there have been some remarkable achievements in the last few decades in this country with regard to human rights, advances in medical science, advances in technology, and he was right. Still, I am very deeply concerned that this country is moving backwards in a lot of important ways. And despite that, I still believe that we, as a nation of American knuckleheads, can pull the fat out of the fire provided that we quit being divided by superficial differences and stupid distractions. I started doing this podcast in the hope that I could change the world in some small but important way. In retrospect, that seems pretty foolish and kind of arrogant as well. Well, so be it. Friends and neighbors, I realize that I can't change the world, but maybe I can change myself and make the world better in that small way. So, I think this might be the last American Knucklehead podcast for a while. Maybe forever. This probably isn't a surprise to anyone who has noticed the increasing intervals between when I produce these episodes. And maybe the show will be back with a format change. Or maybe I'll get so worked up about some other piece of inanity that I'll feel the compulsion to show my ass in cyberspace some more. There's no telling. But for now, I can probably do more good by working on becoming less of an asshole myself rather than pointing out how other people are assholes. For those of you who have stuck it out with me this far, you have my deepest thanks. So I think I'm going to let the Rudy Schwartz Project play me out on a note of hope. This is from their new release, Winter Dance of the Koala Sperm Harvest, and this track is called A Better Tomorrow. Remember... Y'all be good to each other out there. We're in this together.
0: There might not come a day when there'll be peace and understanding. And there might not come a time when the world is cured of hate and crime. As long. of that cell phone.